Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we are a couple of weeks away now from starting to return our plastic bottles and cans. And you have probably noticed that what are called reverse vending machines are popping up at shops and uh, supermarkets, all getting ready uh, to collect our used plastic drink bottles and cans. And it's from the 1st of February under this new deposit return scheme that we will be asked to start bringing our bottles and cans uh, back. Now, we did we did speak with uh, the company who are responsible for the deposit and return scheme. I think we spoke to them before Christmas. Uh, we will be doing another interview closer to the time because there's already, uh, not confusion, but there's already so many people with questions about it. I know for one, I was talking to somebody um, just after Christmas who was gathering up all and keeping all of their empty bottles so that they could put them into one of these reverse vending uh, machines. But you won't be able to do that. You can only, uh, you'll only be able to claim back money on any drinks, bottle or can that gets purchased on or after the 1st of February because that's when the deposit will be added to them and all the bottles of can and cans will have a special symbol on them so that uh, shops and businesses will know the ones that where you paid a deposit. But I am reading in the, Indi- in the Irish Independent this morning that less than a third of the shops are expected to offer the money back service for your plastic bottles and drink cans. Now, around 6,000 supermarkets and convenience stores and petrol stations and news agents, all of them that sell plastic bottles and uh, cans, but most have not installed a reverse vending machine for shoppers to drop back their empties. So while all 6,000 outlets will be charging and will by law have to charge the extra deposit fee on the drinks and bottles and cans. Shoppers then, in some areas, are going to have a much smaller choice of shops where they can bring those bottles and cans back to get their money back. Now, there's just over 1,800 reverse vending machines that are due to go live on the 1st of uh, February. And the scheme is operated by a group called Return. Uh, they say that uh, very few retailers have opted for the alternative arrangements if they're not going to install a machine. There was an alternative arrange- arrangement where people could hand in their bottles and cans over the counter, but very, very few have opted uh, to do that. So it does look like there will be some areas where you could be 10 kilometres away from your nearest outlet who will take your uh, returns. Uh, Return insists, though, it's happy with the uptake among the uh, retailers. But I know the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association, uh, they uh, say that there has been great engagement with the scheme. Um, but, you know, the, the return company are always saying they, they would look and like for more of these reverse vending machines to be put in place. The deposit return scheme has been introduced. Why? Because they're trying to encourage all of us 
to do more for when it comes to recycling, particularly the recycling of the single-use drinks containers. And these are the plastic bottles that are made from PET, P-E-T, PET plastic. But they also, of course, want us, want more of us to return our aluminium and steel uh, cans and that actually covers most of the soft drinks. It's everything from buying bottled water to buying energy drinks to buying juices to buying uh, beers. Anything that's bought in a bottle or a can from any of your large grocery stores or even any of your smaller corner shops. So what happens from the 1st of February when any time you'll go in and buy one of those drinks bottles or drinks cans, you'll have to pay 15 cent deposit for any drink from 150 mils to 500 mils and then there's a 25 cent deposit on any drinks over 500 mil and that's up to 3 litres so they're your larger bottles of you know cola and, and Sprite and 7-Up and Fanta Orange and, and things it's 25 cent per bottle on the larger ones shoppers then will be able to get their money back by returning the empty containers to the shop any shop that has one of these reverse vending machines are the small amount of stores who are offering to manually take them in over the counter. Now we'll wait and see is there going to be any shops here in the Cork area that are going to take them in over the counter but you probably spot it most of the supermarkets have the reverse vending machines where you'll, you do the work yourself you'll be feeding in your bottles and cans. But but just to remember that from the 1st of February, you can't squash any of the bottles and cans and that will make it a bit awkward for you storing the items at home, particularly if you're a household that uses a lot of, uh, you know, young people drinking a lot of energy drinks or a lot of people drinking bottled water or drinking out of cans. You mustn't squash them. You've got to leave them as you bought them, as perfect as possible. Now, the aim is to capture... 500 million bottles and cans that would you believe they reckon are not recycled uh, every year because people either put them into the general waste bins are they litter public places? Ask anybody working with the tidy towns groups and they'll tell you the number of plastic bottles and cans they pick up when they go out on a, a, litter, pick, a litter pick. Now, while the larger retail chains have installed these reverse vending machines in the foyers, they've gone into car parks, many smaller chains and independent retailers are feeling a little bit left out. And the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association, they represent 1,500 stores and they say up to 70% of them will not not be taking back returns. You know, and they cite a variety of uh, of reasons. You know, there's environmental, there's health reasons. You know, if you're asking people to start taking bottles and cans that people hand in over the counter, that's been in somebody's mouth or it could be, had been lying on the side of a ditch if young people went off and collected them. You know, there's, I can see, I can certainly see from the hygiene point of view and then there's also the storage of them all while they, you know, they're going to have to have an area to store them in. So shops of 250, 250 50 square metres or under, these are the smaller convenience stores, they can apply for an exemption from taking back returns and seemingly the majority have already done that. It's also a cost factor for those smaller, you know, the news agents and the smaller corner shops. Seemingly a reverse vending machine costs €15,000 and if you don't have room inside in your shop and if you have a small shop you probably won't have room for it then you're going to have to get it installed outside and that comes with an additional cost of up to €12,000. Now the company Return which are offering it they do offer grants but the costs for some of the smaller retailers are just um, simply still too high. Many of those smaller businesses are struggling as it is. Now the retail trade 
Association RG Data. They represent around 4,000 shops um, and they're actually represented on the board of return and they say that the majority of their members will be uh, taking returns but of course RG Data, they represent a lot of the bigger uh, the, uh, the bigger stores. They say the operation of the scheme will be kept under review to see how it works from the perspective of the retailer and they say if there's any changes uh, RG Data then will bring them to the attention of a return but the scheme will be in from the 1st of February and as I say we will I promise you before the 1st of February we will have somebody on uh, from the company return just to go through any questions or queries uh, people have but from the 1st of February every time you buy a plastic bottle or buy a drink in a can if it's up to 500 mil it'll cost you an extra 15 cent and an extra 25 cent on the larger uh, bottles you're going to have to start gathering them up and collecting them and get everybody in the house used to it it's a little bit like when they introduced the plastic bag tax and God knows we thought we'd never get used to bringing our own shopping bags remember in the early days you'd walk into the supermarket and the amount of people you'd see walking back out again to go back to the boot of the car to get their shopping bags and now we just we, we do it automatically you wouldn't think of entering a supermarket without bringing your own bags uh, with you so I take it it will be time but it will get into our psyche as well already getting uh, some uh, questions in on this deposit and return uh, scheme somebody says Patricia I think there's very little thought has been put into this how can small shops afford to pay 15,000 euro for a reverse vending uh, machine uh, particularly especially when they're getting little in return with our computer systems have to be updated and who will pay uh, for that. Well, as I mentioned, there is an exemption to the smaller shops um, and, and the majority of them, according to the Irish uh, Convenience Stores and News Agents Association, the majority of the smaller ones have gone for an exemption so they don't have to take back uh, returns. I can't see any smaller shop paying €15,000 for a reverse vending machine. They'll leave that to the larger supermarkets uh, who are and have already installed it. As to the computer systems, I'm assuming on the till, well, there'll have to be something done with the tills for them to work out how many bottles they sold and how much deposits they've taken in because obviously that deposit money on every bottle and can is not the shop owners that has to go back to the not-for-profit company return who are operating at the scheme. Uh, hi Patricia, will the plastic bottles include the likes of bottles for olive oil or cream or, or plastic milk bottles? What about salad dressing etc and fabric conditioner? Uh, no and I know when we spoke with the group return, that was one of the questions I asked them at the time. This scheme is only for beverage containers, so it excludes all dairy products and bottles, so it will exclude all of your milk uh, cartons or any other type of uh, liquid. Uh, They won't have the required barcode that will be on the ones where you pay the deposit and they're also, I'm told, usually made of a different kind of plastic to the PET plastic, which the machine's sensor will be picking up and identifying and similarly, it's only aluminium and steel cans that can be accepted. So food cans are your cat or dog food cans. You won't be able to put those into the deposit and return scheme. And uh, hi Patricia, you said it's going to be 15 cent on a small bottle or can. What if I buy a multi-pack? Well, I just have to pay the one fifteen cent. No, because the deposit is on every container. So say, for example, you went out after the 1st of February and picked up a, a, a six pack of, you know, the standard cola cans, um, that would cost you six multiplied by 15 cent. So an extra 90 cent you would pay on top of what the multi-pack 
is currently costing you, but the 90 cents you'll be able to get back when you return your six cans. Friends of the Irish Environment have sent a letter to the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, expressing concern about the UK government's decision to extend the lifetime of its nuclear reactors without consulting with affected parties. Tony Lowe's, our Friends of the Irish Environment, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I suppose, which of the reactors from an Irish point of view would you have particular concerns about? Well, I think these are the ones that are situated on the East Coast. Uh, Haysham and Tornus are the two that uh, are closest. They're about uh, 39 kilometres and 60 kilometres from our coast, so that they're very close indeed. We were involved before with the new plant that the England is building on the Welsh coast. And that's 340 kilometres away. So these are much closer and they pose, obviously, a potential danger. Yeah, if anything goes wrong. Uh, uh, even though they are, they are in the UK, when something goes wrong at a nuclear power plant, they don't recognise uh, borders. Uh, was there any consultation for, that you know of with Ireland about the notion of extending the lifetime of these reactors? No. As far as we know, there hasn't been any undertaken by the, by the English on this. Now, what happened was in 2013, when the, uh, the Hinkley uh, uh, plant was being built and started, we asked for consultation and, and uh, we went through something called the ESPU convention, which is actually uh, uh, aimed at transboundary impacts from very large projects like power plants, and these kind of things. So there's a whole separate convention outside of the European Environmental Impact Assessment, because of course England's not a part of the EU anymore. So it doesn't come under the very stringent conditions that, that, uh, that might have applied beforehand. And in fact, these plants are so old they were never subject to what we would think of as an environmental impact assessment. Uh, what's worrying is that they do degrade, particularly these advanced, what they call advanced gas-cooled reactors. Uh, what happens is that the graphite starts cracking in the boiler spines inside the reactor core. And there's nothing they can do about it. They know it's happening. So it, it, what, what it does is it limits the life of the plant. So what we're worried about is because of the great push for energy now and the great need for energy, uh, they're extending the lifetime of these plants beyond their safe capacity. Yeah, and it is, it is a French company, EDF. They manage Britain's eight nuclear power stations. And I started reading up a little bit on it yesterday and they said that they, um, when they were making, the, you know, they, they were admitted, yeah, they've made this decision to, to extend the life, the life of four of them. Now, they say it would require regulatory approval. They say it would also depend on plant inspections, I mean, does that give you some grain of hope? Well, this is what we're kind of confused about. And uh, talking with my European colleagues, they have had the same problem. What permitting system is being used for this? We don't, we're not aware of any. We haven't seen any. Uh, And does that permitting system uh, allow for consultation with the public? Because that's what we asked for in 2013. 
And we got it. It took four years to work through the bureaucracy of the ESPU convention. But in the end, Ireland had a public consultation on the new Hinckley plant, just the way it would as if it was you know, constructed on our own coast. And the advantage of this is that our own government can take a position on it. Uh, the uh, EPA can do studies on it, can, can look at the information that it has, can bring uh, our own scientific perspective to bear on the plants. Now, if there's no consultation, that won't happen. There'll just be a bit, bit of that jigsaw puzzle missing. And with nuclear energy, you don't want to miss a bit of the jigsaw puzzle. For sure, for sure. And, and I know it isn't just the UK, several countries across Europe, including France, Belgium and Sweden, they've all announced plans to extend the operating lives of ageing nuclear reactors. And of course, they're doing that because of fears about power supply. I mean, that's what it all goes back to, isn't it? That is. And they're doing it uh, in the knowledge that uh, the actual uh, global warming that we, we are suffering means that they're, they're having great difficulty cooling many of these plants from, from, from uh, the point of view of, of uh, abstracting water. And as the water levels fall in the European rivers, uh, it becomes harder and harder to cool these plants. I think at the moment, as of yesterday, 60% of the UK nuclear plants were out of action for maintenance and inspection. So this thing is highly complicated, highly dangerous, and requires as much prudence as we can bring together. We're just hoping that the minister will help us. But I have to say the last time, uh, it, was, it wasn't it uh, was a sympathetic minister, and we had to go through that four-year procedure. Well, I, I really hope we don't have to wait four years this time to, to have our experts look at it. Yeah, I did see the chief executive of the Nuclear Industry Association. Uh, they uh, welcomed the news of what the EDF, the the UK uh, power plants, uh, he, they welcome. They say the ambition to extend the four stations uh, should be widely welcomed. They say it will cut gas imports, cut carbon and relieve winter pressures on what they describe as a shaky grid. Now that is the Nuclear Industry Association. You would say, of course, they would uh, welcome it, uh, but they say it will cut gas imports and cuts carbon. Well, all of these things are true. There's absolutely no doubt that these things are true, but we have to turn around and ask at what cost. Uh, and you have to realize that the scale of the investment that's involved in these plants, the amount of money that goes into them and the time makes our children's hospital look like child's play. They are incredibly expensive. So that uh, that money, which could have been going into building up our ports in order to do our offshore, that could have been used for working on ways in which we can use excess energy to turn it into hydrogen and what we can do with that genuinely green hydrogen. All of that is being starved of funds because the money is going into nuclear. And this is one of our, our, our really our biggest problems. What are our priorities? Our priorities have got to be truly renewable energy that, that, that we can rely on and, and that we can look forward to a confident future. And nuclear energy is not that. OK, somebody says, how many nuclear power plants have gone into meltdown in the last 60 years and how many nuclear reactors are there worldwide? And I'm assuming that somebody who's a fan of uh, nuclear power. <laughs> yes. Yes, and I, we can understand it. I mean, we can see the other side quite clearly. It seems like a quick fix. It seems like the simple way to do it. But to be honest, you know, the, the, the continuation of nuclear power in these old plants 
it really does have to be carefully scrutinised. Yeah, but that's I think, not but, happening. That's yeah, not I think happening. that is the danger. It is. It is the older plants and uh, who, that were never designed to have their life time extended. Uh, I certainly would have concerns around that for sure. Uh, Tony, look, we we leave it here. You've written to the Minister of the Environment. Heard anything back yet? We did. We had acknowledgement this morning and it okay. was brought to the Minister's attention. So here we go. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll speak again, Tony. Thanks for that. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Okay. That is uh, Tony Lowe's of uh, Friends of the Irish Environment. Now, with the government launching a public consultation about a possible ban on the use of remote-controlled electric shock collars for dogs and cats. Independent Senator Ronan Mullen says these devices are not cruel and he's against any such ban. So what are they and how do animal rights groups feel about them? Well, Gillian Bird is Head of Education and Media with the DSPCA and uh, Gillian joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning. And, uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, c- can you outline what these e-collars are and, and are they widely used? Yeah, so what they are is that there's a couple of different versions of it. You have ones that are used as a training aid, which are the remote control ones that you can actually shock the pet down, you know, using the remote control. And then the other ones are the barriers. That's where you have an invisible barrier that if the animal passes a particular field, electric field, they get a shock, or as they approach it, they get a shock. So there are two different types of ones, both of which have, well, some have similar issues, and others just can have some, some quite serious things that I think a lot of people don't think about um, from, the, from a, a practical and an animal welfare point of view. It, I mean, very painful for the dog? They can be, yes. You see, every animal will react differently, and if you put a, a shock collar on a small little terrier or you put one on a very large dog like a Rottweiler, they're going to react differently. Um, I, I kind of, what I would say to anybody who, who is using one, I said, have you, have you ever tried it on yourself? Have you put it on your leg or your arm and seen, you know, w- what it is like? But it's not even the shock. It's, it's some of the other issues that can actually be linked to it. So from an animal welfare point of view, we have seen animals that are wearing, especially the barrier collars, They're wearing them for a long time. The owners are not monitoring them. The animals can end up with, you know, the collars can be extra tight. They can cause restriction. They can cause uh, sores at the points where the electric prongs are actually um, touching the skin. So we have seen some horrendous issues in the past where animals have come into us with huge open sores because they've been wearing these collars for a long term. But is there any evidence that they work to discipline dogs and then once trained, people stop using them? Not really. I mean, there probably is evidence out there that they do work in certain situations, but you're down to the fact that you're expecting a human to understand how an animal's brain works. So a lot of the dog training, and in fact, even our training team here, they wouldn't use them. They would much prefer to use kind of the training with kindness, the the, the positive reward system for training, and not the negative reinforcement, which is what these collars actually do. I mean, putting a collar on a cat and pressing the buzzer every time the cat meows, what is that teaching the animal? It's teaching it to be quiet, but vocalization is something cats do to communicate. Mm. So you're, you're, you know, you need to work with the animal's behavior rather than uh, punish them for, for anything they're doing. 
Now, the independent senator who I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Roland Mullen, uh, he says if you ban e-collars, sheep won't be able to graze safely. Uh, and my, my, my initial thought when, when I heard him say that was, I mean, have they stopped sheep attacks in the past? Well, you see, if you imagine the way these fences work is they used to be, they seem to have changed the way they sell them now, but they used to be a training device. So you would set up this invisible fence. So it's a, basically a sensor thing. And you would put the dog on the lead and you would spend about three months training the dog not to go past certain points in your garden that if the animal, when they approach these points, they get a small shock and the closer they get to the barrier, they get a big shock. It's not going to stop an animal that's running because they're going to get a shock and they're going to keep running. So they're going to go through the fence. So really, at the end of the day, they're not going to stop um, sheep attacks because if people are not training the animals properly, mm. the animals are going to go past these barriers. Um, you also have the situation that, you know, you're if you have a dog and you are living in a sheep area, you really need to have your garden fenced off. It's a much, much more... Um, it's a much better way of doing it is to actually build a wall or put a fence in and fence your animal off because you're you're not stopping other animals coming in there. And this is one of the points with people using these perimeters for cats. How are you going to prevent your cat getting attacked by a local cat if that cat, your cat cannot get away from it because it's contained within this invisible fence? That's a really good point. That is a really, really good point. And, and we sadly have spoken with farmers over the years who've had you know devastating uh, sheep attacks. And I think the majority of the farmers will always blame the owner of that dog, not the dog. Well, that's exactly it. It's all about responsible ownership. And if you have a dog and you live in an area where there's sheep, you have to keep your dog contained. That is the law. That is the requirement. It, it's what you should be doing as a responsible dog owner. Same as people when you bring your dogs for a walk up in the hills, you keep your dog on the lead if in doubt. Um, and absolutely, it, it's not going to prevent um, sheep attacks. It's not going to prevent these things. But it's also the other problem is it's not going to train your pet properly. It's all about how you actually work with your pet. And I had a question the other day from somebody saying to me, will it not stop all these dog attacks on humans? And, and I, you know, if your dog is not in a lead and it's not muzzled and it's attacking somebody, I really think that pressing the button to give the dog electric shock is not necessarily going to stop that dog attacking whoever it's attacking. Exactly. And if, if and it's true that the UK, they're imposing a ban, aren't they, on these devices? They are, absolutely. And and actually, if you look at the countries that have actually banned these cars, and they call them e-collars, and I kind of think of e-cigarettes, and let's call them what they are. Let's call them electric shock collars, because that's the reality of it. So Wales um, banned them about 14 years ago. France banned them uh, last year. And then we've got Austria, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Norway, Slovenia and Sweden. And even some parts of Australia have them banned. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's a new thing. And though we're being very radical in banning them, the, the England will, they will be banned from the 1st of February. Okay, and I know here in in Ireland, if people feel strongly uh, about the issue, uh, people are encouraged to get involved. There is a public consultation, um, animalwelfare at agriculture.gov.ie. I'm assuming you'd like people to engage. Oh, absolutely. And look, if people have positive experience of it, why not share it? There is a huge amount of scientific papers out there both from an animal welfare point of view, from a behavior, dog and animal behaviour point of view, who, who have both sides of the story. So let's get as much information as we can, because that's what's really important. But I know from our stance in the DSPCA, and I think you'll find it with a lot of the other animal welfare groups, we would very much be opposed 
to the use of these collars for any sort of training purposes or barrier. Okay, and just while we're talking of bans, uh, Jenny, one of our listeners says, could you ask Gillian, please, uh, about XL bully dogs? Are they banned in Ireland? They are not banned. They are under the restricted breed list, which means as a as an owner, you must have the animal on a lead. It must be muzzled and it must be walked by somebody over the age of 16 who can actually control it. So they are not banned. We have no breeds of dogs that are banned in this country. We just have the um, uh, restricted breed list where these animals must be. And, and what's an important thing about that list is that you can have a crossbreed, which is kind of what an XL bully is. Um, so any crosses or strains of the dogs that are on that list are included in the ones that must be muzzled, excuse me, muzzled and on a lead. And if we don't want to get animals banned in this country, then you know, we need responsible owners to actually pay attention to the rules. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting confused about the ex- the banning of the XL bully because it came in, in 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 England and in Wales, I think, at the start of the year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But look, they, they've already been covered by the restricted breed list in Ireland and the rules are they must be muzzled and on a lead at all times. OK. All right, listen, uh, Gillian, thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Gillian Bird, Head of Education and Media with the DSPCA. If you'd like to get involved and have your say on the possible banning of those electric shock collars for dogs and cats, didn't realise that they were used for cats, but seemingly they are, Animal Welfare at agriculture.gov.ie and you need to get working on it because the closing date for submissions is the 26th of January. Last week we had a discussion uh, about the results of research that had come out from Red Sea which showed that 59% of Irish people had admitted never attending a live women's sporting event but for me what was really ironic was 74% said it's a shame that more people don't attend women's sporting events. So Eamon O'Dea is PRO of the Mallow Ladies Gaelic Football Association and he joins me to encourage people to attend a match that's actually happening this weekend. Good morning to you, Eamon. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Happy New Year. um, Many happy returns and you're welcome to the the programme. I mean, would would you say there is a noticeable difference in the attendance of a game played by men versus women, even locally? Um, I, I would, I would. Um, I think, like, a lot of the time what you have is you, we say for underage, you'd have a lot, always the parents, maybe grandparents, uncles and aunts and stuff like that. Um, but, like, quite recently, we were fortunate enough to be in a county final last year. And, you know, we did a bit of promotion through local newspapers and stuff like that. And we had quite a sizable attendance, actually, at the at the county final, which was great. Because, because, uh, because the, la- the ladies' matches, I mean, any it often comes up here in the programme, the, the, the ones that are, uh, say, put on TV, for example, they are as competitive and as skillful as any of the men's matches. 100%. And, like, you have to remember that the girls, at, you know, at any level, be it inter-county or at club level and in clubs across the country, are training as hard and as often as any of their counterparts in the, in the male side of it. Um, and you know, from I'm only involved in a couple of years, but because my daughter has started playing, but from from my own perspective and my my own viewpoint, it's it's a far more attractive brand of football because I, I suppose it's a very possession orientated game in, in the men's side, where you might have fourteen or fifteen attacking with the ball and fourteen or fifteen defending. And looking for an opening, so it's passing over and back and stuff. And that's the way the game has gone. Mm. Um, but in the ladies' 
football. I mean, the, the skill level and the, uh, the attacking brand of football that's there in open play is a, a very attractive brand of football. So, like, I'd encourage anyone who either hasn't been or, you know, is has a certain view on it to, you know, go to it with an open mind and go to, go to games, either reach out to your local club um, or anything like that and go to some of the games. And, you know, they'll come away and on reflection later they go, you know what? That was that was exciting. That, no, yeah, that was, was some good football. That was a cracker um, of a match. Yeah, but yeah. but would, would showing more of the bigger matches on TV? Do you think that would help? I certainly think it would help. Um, and I think, like on a local level, for for clubs all across the country, is you know if if people can advertise the games more either through local media or local press and stuff like that. And we're very fortunate; we have a good relationship with the local press here, and um, will give us plenty of, of coverage. Um, but I do think as well that, you know, the, the even at a club level, games could be advertised a bit better and promoted a bit better. And I know we'll, we're going looking at that ourselves this year so that people know when games are on and matches are on and that they'll be able to go and attend, you know, if if they wish. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that they're, you know, TG Carr are, are fantastic to give great coverage and they've announced um, all the games they're going showing as well this year. So, you know, it's... Um, I think it's building and it's growing and I think there's, you know, there's a culture shift in place as well and a lot of people are embracing it. So, and like that again, if people are dubious about it or whatever, just, I'd encourage them to just go with an open mind, have a look and uh, I'd say they'll go back again. Yeah. and, and actually looking into that research from uh, Red Sea, obviously it was ahead of the uh, the 2024 ladies uh, football uh, season. Um, but when, when I was l- looking at the other in, uh, stats that came out for, from it, it said of the 25% who attend a live female sporting event, 57 of the spectators are more likely to be men than women. So females we need to get out and start supporting our sisters you know there's a lot to be said for that as well sure do like you know um and looking at it even from a coaching volunteer perspective now we're very fortunate here and i know other clubs are very fortunate as well that there is a good a strong female presence both from the coaching side and in the volunteering side but i've seen a lot on social media recently where different clubs are reaching out for more people to get involved um, and more volunteers because you need more coming in. You can't have the same people all the time. Um, like there are some people I know who've coached, you know, their kids from under seven all the way through to junior. Yeah. And, you know, to to sustain, I suppose, the longevity of the club and success of clubs, you need more volunteers coming in. You need parents. But there are quite active grandparents out there as well who may have played or have knowledge and can bring something to it as well. But for a lot of us, like I've, I've never coached before, but I'm learning from from other coaches. And some people have said to me, you know, I, I never played sport when I was younger or whatever. It doesn't matter. Come along, help out, um, and you know, you get to learn and grow with the kids as well, especially in the underage side. But and like I know ourselves, we need more volunteers. We need hopefully more parents to get involved as well. Yeah, um, it's that, that it's, it's it's a discussion actually. Something we touched on uh, only last week on the program. It's uh, it's not just in sporting uh, clubs. There has been a fall off 
in volunteerism. I mean, a lot of people are saying that it started uh, during COVID. I, I don't know if it did or not, but we need more people because if if we don't have people volunteering for either sporting clubs or community events or what, whatever it is in, in your area, we lose we lose some of those activities and then people bemoan the fact that something is gone. You know, people need to get involved and, and there's no better way than to get involved in your local community and one of the best ways is, is through a sporting body. It is, you know, and like that again, I would encourage anyone, you know, in any locality to go down to their local club or maybe reach out to the local officers of, of their respective clubs. Some of them are one club, some are, you know, striving towards one club um, as well. But to just Say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to help out or I'm free there a couple of hours a week and just see if it fits in with the training schedule. And, you know, it's, and especially on the ladies football side of it, you know, we do need more females because, you know, some of the, like we're very fortunate, we've, we've got some very high numbers, but we're looking at it this year in some of the middle tier underage um, group groupings and we're struggling for coaches and we, we need some more female presence, which will help like, Kids may need to go to the bathroom and stuff like that, yeah, and yeah. we're we have we have a certain number of females who do help, but we need more. Yeah. You know, we do need more. Okay, okay, well, well said. Now you 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 you've come on. The main reason you've come on is to tell us about a match that's happening. It's actually in Mallow on this Sunday. Yeah, it's on. In, it's the um, it's the little ladies little ladies national football league division one round one game, and it's Cork versus Galway. And I just thought, you know, even for people within close proximity who haven't attended any ladies' football matches or anything like that, it presents a great opportunity to just pop in and, and go and have a look. Um, obviously, it might be some distance for some people to travel, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's on at two o'clock. Um, tickets are available, and it's via a link on the ladies' Gaelic football site, which is um, ladiesgaelic.ie, and they can be found there or... I know a lot of different clubs in the North Cork Ladies um, football social media site has posted it as well. So, like a lot of people may not may or may not be on Facebook and, and things like that. But you know, you'll know someone who is, or you'll know someone who can aid you in getting um, getting a link a link for tickets yeah. and stuff like and that. And it's throwing is two o'clock in throwing is it's two o'clock in Mallow in, in Carragoon. In, in Carragoon, correct. At two correct. o'clock, which is, which is a, a terrific uh, facility. So can yeah. we wish the best of luck to the Cork Ladies uh, football team next uh, Saturday uh, as well. Sunday. Uh, next okay. Sunday, sorry. Next Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. Listen, Eamon, thank you. I think you, you've sold uh, ladies football extremely well and, and you're a great ad for volunteering. You sound like you really enjoy it. I do, actually. Um, and I got involved with when my daughter started off uh, three years ago. She'll be going to her fourth season with under sevens and under eights and um, I did step back a bit last year all right but getting back involved again this year because I really missed it last year and you know going to our matches and stuff like that and you get to see the kids um, how they evolve and grow Mm. and how they pick up different skills and talents and stuff like that as well you know and uh, I think I know for myself and after stepping back from it last year my first couple of years I definitely got more out of it and there's a great sense of fulfilment seeing them grow and develop as well, you know. And yeah, look, kids, uh, kids all, are great. And yeah, they are. And it's, all, it's a great way. Volunteering is a great way to build up a new friendship group as well. And, you know, there's a, there can be a social side to it, you know, and, and we people need to reach out and get out of their own houses and meet up with new people. And by volunteering, it's, it's a terrific way. And Camille, is your daughter, is she proven to be a handy little footballer, do you think? 
she's tidying off. She's she? her own. Um, yeah, so she is. And, um, but yeah, and she enjoys it and her, all her friends enjoy it. Well. I like to, to play other sports as well. Like camogie, similar thing, camogie um, and basketball as well. So, you know, they they all play together and stuff like that and they all enjoy it. They get to know other kids from different schools as yeah. well, um, which is one of the other things that uh, the club does promote uh, to try and promote ladies football and try and, I suppose, bring more into it. Um, our officers organise the school blitz here in town um, for different age profiles uh, for the for the girls in school. And that's very successful every year as well. And you also hope that you might get one or two more in and, and involved, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose, I can't, sorry now, but I, <laughs> I have to mention our mothers and others team as well. Yeah. Um, so we have everything from nursery from under fives on Sunday mornings right up to um, all the different age profiles. And we have our mothers and others team as well. And which is which is growing as well, and it's growing across the county as well. I know other it's growing quite, na- nationwide. We've done nationwide, some interviews on it. Yeah. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It is, and again, it's a great way to get to know people because, like, I'd be blowing tomorrow myself, as I call it, and um, it is a great way to to get to know others. You know, as okay. well. So well I encourage anyone to, to get involved. Well done, well done, and uh, Eamon, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. No problem. Thanks very much. Good morning Appreciate to you. Bye bye. That is Eamon O'Dea, who is a great PRO, can I say, for the Mad Ladies Gaelic uh, Football uh, Association. And actually, just staying on sports and ladies sports, Dominic says, Patricia, I got the tail end of you talking about women's sport earlier on when you were teeing up the programme. There's a big weekend in Dublin on this Sunday for two Cork ladies basketball teams in national finals. Father Matthews and Brunel, hoping to see a win for Father Matthews. Tickets are still available. Please, if anybody's interested, in coming to Dublin, please come along and support Matthews. By the way, the men's national finals are on Saturday with the women's on uh, Sunday. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced welder slash fabricator is required for ovens, balancolic areas. Uh, three to five years' experience is necessary. You need to email jobsireland2024 at gmail.com. An Arctic truck driver wanted for the Charleville area. Now, a full CE licence is essential and some crane experience will be an advantage. Call 87 A manager is wanted for a tool hire shop that's in the Domanway area. Vincent is your contact at 86 8328570 and here envy they're in mallow they've got full and part-time positions available for qualified stylists it may also suit a fourth year apprentice you can ring bernice on 0225568484 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is c103 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now we're going to stay on sports because Fianna Fall Cork Northwest All Deputy Andreas Moynihan has called for people to submit their views on 14 new sporting events being considered for broadcast on free to air TV. So everyone would be able to watch them. To find out more, uh, Deputy Andreas Moynihan. And uh, joins me. Good morning, Andreas. Good morning, Patricia. <clears throat> and you're welcome. Morning. You're welcome to the program. Now, how much uh, say does the government has when it comes to deciding which sports event would be put on free to air? Well, there would be 
there will be strong influence on it because we've already seen how there's a, a list of events that are out there already uh, for uh, free to air. Um, and for example, the you know the the All Ireland football and the the hurling and there's the um, the the horse show in Dublin and a number of different events are already identified as free to air. So they're they're already there, and the aim now is to extend that list and to ensure that so many other different competitions, uh, you know, significant cultural events that they would be available for people to to share together. Like recall, they are now the the rugby uh, last before Christmas, and the way half the country I'd say were and maybe more were watching in on it at the same time. Like. The idea that we would be able to all share and enjoy in those uh, events free to air is is very important. And the aim now is to extend the events that are there uh, and bring in other ones. To include uh, more? It, it is, yes. It's to, to include additional maybe rounds of different competitions. Um, the, the likes of the senior Camogie quarterfinals and semifinals, the provincial Camogie championship um, th- there's a whole range of different events, and I think it, it also moves towards increasing the visibility of women's sports uh, as well. It's not just men and uh, men's sports that are that would be free to air. Uh, it's important that there would be an equal and possibly even additional uh, visibility of the, the women's sports as well. Yeah, yeah, and actually, we've we've coincidentally we've just been uh, talking about that. So it's great to see that on this list, nine of the fourteen are uh, women's uh, events uh, because only and and uh, this is the reason we were talking about a couple of moments ago last December. The Red Sea poll showed fifty nine percent of Irish women Irish people have never attended a live women's sporting event. Coverage would very much help that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Definitely being able to see it, uh, to to recognise that it's got equal status uh, and like for, for people to be able to, to see their, their champions, their heroes on TV as well, to see it and to believe it and to, to know it and to uh, to make it happen for, for so many other, uh, another generation of sports people coming along behind them. It's it's vital that people will be able to, to see uh, their, their sports heroes on TV for that. Uh, whether it's it's women's football or uh, camogie, uh, the the rugby, um, every every sport, and we saw it again with the the ladies soccer World Cup as well. I think that was that was very successful, mm. really raising the the profile of of the sport, uh, and having it on TV is is so vital, uh, and then free to air as well. That it isn't narrowed down to those who are interested. And we'll go and seek it out and pay for a subscription, but instead that it's on the 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 airwaves for everybody. And I think you you increase the the profile of every sport by having it in that way, um, by by having it free to air. So like this consultation now is to look at these events uh, that people's views on them. I think myself, even though there's an extensive list of fourteen, that there are other events as well that if people feel should be on it, that they should take that the should opportunity be as well. And yeah. I think so, yes, definitely. But like, there's a, a very extensive, like there's the, the women's uh, Six Nations rugby. Uh, there's the, uh, as I was saying earlier, the provincial camogie finals. 
the quarter and semi-finals of the the senior football and hurling championship. Um, there's uh, the, the 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 World Cup, the uh, Ireland's game, and the UEFA men and women's leagues. Uh, so there's a there, there's a wide range of events. Yeah, and I was looking. I was I was looking at the at the start of the year. They always release the the ten most watched programs for the previous uh, year. Uh, and I was looking at and in the top ten, eight of the top ten were sporting events that were shown, obviously free to air on either Virgin Media or were shown on RT One or RTE Two. But like eight of the ten, uh, the most watched programs. We love our sports in this country, and it shouldn't be a case of just because you can afford a subscription service that you should be able to sit down in your own home and watch a great match or a great sporting event. You're spot on. We love sport. We love so so many different range whether it's rugby camogie football we love sport uh, and so many more sports beside it and the chance it, it brings people together there's a kind of a uh, like cheering on our whether it's an irish team or a cork team uh, or like killer march in their fantastic campaign recently in the in the football <clears throat> so like we we love our sport and to be able to have that opportunity to to be together and to to, to cheer along and support our team and to see them uh, on the on the TV as well is a it's a huge plus, and I think um, that that's really a key part of the the free to air that those kind of significant cultural events that they wouldn't be restricted. Number one to people who would be prepared to pay on it, but also when when you put it um, when you put it on those kind of sub- subscriptions, there's a whole load of other people who who won't necessarily stumble on it or enjoy. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Write or seek it out. Um, and so, like, you're, you're raising the profile of the game by having, of the various different games, by having them on free-to-air. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a huge part of it. OK, uh, Sean in McCroom says, was delighted to see this list of uh, 14 and thrilled to see that so many female sporting events were in it. Both of his daughters play at underage camogie and uh, football and it is great for them to see some of their role models up on uh, TV. But he's wondering of the 14 that have been identified by Minister Catherine Martin, are, are all, uh, is this just for consideration or are all of them now guaranteed free to air? The public consultation is for for consideration, and you know that people would express their view on it. Okay, uh, and I think that 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 that's a significant part of it, that that people should express their view on it. My own feel as well is that if there are other events that people uh, have a strong view on, that here is an opportunity uh, for for to put it out there as well. You know, uh, it could be it could be other sports that you feel that aren't represented there uh, and I feel that there should be an opportunity to do that as well but definitely here is a proposal from the, the Minister and 
that then the minister is looking for people's views. Yeah, have your say. Have, have your say. And it's www.gov.ie forward slash free to air. Please make your submission. Please have your say. And the closing date is the 20th of February. So you do have uh, some time to work on this. And just while we're on about the fact that, you know, um, some of the some of the uh, 14 are GAA uh, re- related. Um, how... Wh- 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 What's your feeling on the discussion this week on the possible renaming of Pork Creeve? Oh gosh, yeah. Like um, <laughs> we have such an attachment to the to our sports, but also to our like it's a big part of our identity, and the name is such a significant part of the our identity. Um, wherever the stadium is, Parky Creeve is is Parky Creeve. It's not some other. Uh, commercial outlet um, and I think I, I'm glad GA didn't go ahead this week that they're taking another look at, at things on it. I recognise the realities about their financial situation but it, it's part of our identity the name and people really have a, and I'm so glad people spoke out on it and had their, their say on it. Uh, it's very much part of our identity and look uh, County Board have to, to revisit that really. There was a massive public outpouring wasn't there? Oh, would you be surprised? <laughs> like it's, you know I, I was listening to, and maybe I shouldn't be saying it but I heard on a, another uh, radio channel in another county uh, that even they were having strong views on it over in Kerry. <laughs> that, that, that they're only in behind us on, on our name. Yeah, but they're they're right. Um, you know, it's your name is your huge part of your identity. Yeah, and like people are proud of. We, uh, Cork have developed a fantastic stadium there, uh, and you know the the name and like the the history that goes with with it as well. And I think more and more people actually learned who uh, Padraig O'Keeve was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and the, the significant role out of it all. But like that that often that's often the case that uh, you know uh, it's it's the the identity and the name that we should be uh, and the fact that it's Osgailing Homa Shinanahok that we're uh, that that not many uh, stadia have a, a name in Irish as well. Yeah. It's promoting our language which is a, a key part of of the the GA as well. So look, um, I'm glad that uh, that GA didn't go ahead this week and that they are revisiting it. I recognise they have commercial realities as well that they have to to deal with. Uh, but look, but um, but I think when when and a number of our listeners pointed it out when you look at other uh, Gaelic grounds around the country and they've gone down this route as well. And and you're right, it it is a way to make money uh, for the local uh, GAA. And we know that they've got the debt because of the re- redevelopment of the wonderful Porky redeveloped Porky Creeve. Uh, but all of the other uh, stadiums around the country who did a renaming, they left the original name in and just tagged the sponsor onto it. I think I think that's, that's right, where yeah. the GAA got it wrong was the idea of dropping our, our wonderful name of Porca Creeve. Yeah, a total a total removing of and switching off a significant part of the identity. Yeah. Uh, whereas in any of the others you've seen that it's it's been brought along and that it seems to have worked uh, work better, okay. uh, and look, it's 
let, let's see now. Uh, will GA take that on board? And I know that they I think they will. I think they will. And I think Super Value will as well, because Super Value, is, they're fantastic, the Super Value stores, and they're embedded in local communities. They're, you know, they're, they're very much a local stores. They are, and there's a fair point that there's a good match there and that uh, the, the way that... Uh, like you're saying, the, the community involvement, but uh, we, so many would already be going to Super Value to buy their tickets. Yeah, yeah. And that it's a, it, it, it's, it's a good match, all right, you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, but the removal of a significant part of an identity, I think that's that was where the, the, the core of it was. Um, and look, I, I think... Uh, a lot of people have, as we were saying, learnt or got to know a bit more about the person uh, and the significance of it. Uh, the fact that it's Osgoyling and uh, removing uh, the Irish uh, to a large extent. I know Park was kind of in there, um, but, you know, it's good that it, it's now being reviewed again. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, it's it's one we'll keep a close eye on that. Listen, uh, Andreas, thank you for that and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Fianna Fáil Deputy Andreas Moynihan um, on the free to air. Get your submission in www.gov.ie forward slash free to air submissions. Closing date is the 2nd of February. If you want to comment on any of the 14 that's already on the list. But as Andreas said, maybe there's others that they haven't thought about, that Catherine Martin hasn't thought about and that should be put onto the list. Now is the chance to have your say and anything that we can do, I think, to keep sporting events free to air has got to be encouraged because we saw the reaction when the GAA came out and announced the number of matches that are going to go behind the paywall a GAA go a lot of uh, our listeners certainly were not happy with that 0818103103 can I just give a mention to a couple of people who are having problems with water uh, this morning we had a WhatsApp in saying morning Patricia I'm living in the Glen and I have no water coming from my cold tap I would be on Irish water they say they're not aware of any issues in the area is it possible that any of your other listeners are having a similar issue living in the Glen my house is in a council estate Cork County Council when I got on to them they said all inquiries about water must go to Irish Water, Ishka Aaron. I'm a bit concerned and would be relieved if others were in a similar situation to uh, me. Please don't call out my name. Have a pleasant and safe weekend. Thank you for that. And then Mariam in Douglas was on to say no water in the last hour in Douglas. What is going on? Anyway, we got on to Irish uh, Ishka Aaron. Uh, we'll still call it Irish Water, won't we? They say they're currently investigating reports of a supply disruption in Maryber Hill in Douglas. So that's answering Marion in Douglas's problem. But then we said about our listener in the Glen who woke up this morning with no water in her tap. Irish Water said they've, they've checked again. No reports coming in from the Glen area of Cork City. So what they're saying has possibly happened is it's an isolated issue. It is possible that the pipes are frozen going into your house uh, are within the house and if that's the case then they should start to thaw out as the temperatures come up because we are hearing from people who are having issues with frozen pipes so it could just be that to that uh, listener in the Glen that your pipes are uh, frozen uh, but certainly there's nothing there's nothing wrong in the area from uh, Ishka Aaron point of view 0818 103 103 and John in Ballincollig says Patricia well the government are promoting free to air and looking for submissions of free to air if there was more, if there's more matches put on the TV 
why would people bother going to matches? Well, I take it because there's nothing like the excitement of attending a match live, John. We go to this week's Ours to uh, Protect. I've just spotted a WhatsApp in from Sheila when we were talking about some households unfortunately being affected by frozen pipes this morning because last night definitely was the coldest night of the entire week. We were talking about minus eight degrees in some areas. So certainly some pipes uh, were frozen overnight, but uh, hopefully they will start to slowly defrost and won't cause any problems. But Sheila is in a big bit of a pickle and delighted to hear that this cold spell is going away because she said her central heating has frozen since early on Tuesday. She called her plumber who came out and checked the system and said, sorry, Sheila, I can't do anything for you until the freeze is over. Uh, she rang the oil company who sold her the oil. It's a kerosene fill that she got to ask for advice. But so far, she said nobody's returned her call. She said it is a dose. And she's wondering if others had the same problem. Anybody? I've never heard of that before, that the actual central heating system. So it's not the it's not the pipes are frozen. It's something to do with the uh, the kerosene can't freeze either, can it? I'm, I'm listen, I'm, I'm talking off the top of my head now because I haven't got a clue. Uh, anybody else had that problem in the past? knows how to sort it. Now hopefully Sheila you will get, you will start to get sorted out today as the temperatures go up uh, a little bit but I certainly am unaware of hearing that the central heating system has frozen. If anybody has advice for Sheila 0818 Ours to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out rstoprotect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we look at local efforts around upcycling, which look to push us further towards the goal of a circular economy with strong community engagement. The issues around fast fashion have increasingly become a concern as the industry has grown, not only due to the waste left behind, but also the emissions that come with production. Around 110,000 tonnes of textiles in Ireland end up in waste to energy plants or landfill each year. Upcycling and repair are just two of the ways of combating these issues. Creative Bandon, a local community effort to organise public events and celebrations in Bandon, have partnered with Fast Forward to organise a denim repair workshop to promote sustainable clothing at a local level. Creative Island was set up about six years ago, myself and Zoe Tennyson, and our initial motivation was to try and build community through the arts, and we thought that the way to do that was what is called a placemaking, and it's about celebrating what makes a place unique. That's a really fertile ground to start to navigate, because you can go into the heritage, you can go into the art, you can go into the literature of an area, Area. And, you know, Bandon and County Cork offers a really, really fertile area to explore. I met Ailish initially because we were exploring how to, to create a programme around the Bandon Bridget's weekend. Bridget very much comes into the theme of reusing, renewing in bulk this, the 1st of February. is very much the, the old Celtic season for renewal and regeneration. So working with Ailish really made sense. The idea is that you create something new from something old so to have a look in your wardrobe to see if you've got a pair of jeans you're no longer wearing maybe it's a pair of jeans that are in need of pair you can bring those along and upcycle them into something new such as a midi skirt or a draft excluder and we will have all the materials on hand so all the sewing materials and the sewing machines to be able to create those new pieces it will be taking place on the Saturday of Bridget's weekend at 12 
12 noon until 2.30. We've given ourselves two and a half hours just so that everyone is leaving the workshop with their piece completely done. The workshop forms part of a broader schedule of events due to take place across St. Bridget's weekend at the beginning of February. In terms of the rest of the programme, one of the major items is we're co-creating Bridget's Cloak. This is part of an intergenerational project with the art Claire Hurley. We will be using all recycled materials there, recycled sheets, recycled puree tins, and all these items will be recycled and, and part of the installation. The other aspects will be about the Bridget's lore itself in terms of making workshops for Bridget's crosses. We have Shane Lehan from RTE who will be talking about the lore of Bridget before Christianity, as well as children's spring-themed stories that will also be celebrating the spring rites of Ukraine with some of our Ukrainian community. We're having a spring dip in the ocean. Bridget was matron saint of poets and so we will have a poetry cafe and then we will also have a wonderful play called Extraordinary Ordinary Women and it's the story of many of the Kumnamon. Um, who were so fundamental in the foundation of the state but whose stories have often been held secret and that will be followed by a panel discussion about women's voices and whether they're heard now and that will be chaired by Justin McCarthy and we'll have Bernie Connolly from the Cork Environmental Forum it will have the editor of the Southern Star a herbalist Dr Rosari Kingston playwright as well there's actually so many potential ways that we could explore the topic of Bridget and renewal and recycling. So we're trying not to do it all in the first year, but there's just so many ways that we could do it. The events aren't just fun days out for the community. They also promote celebrations at a local level without the need to travel great distances at the expense of carbon emissions, money and time. We do lots of community events so that people can come together and celebrate in their own town. But it's about celebrating in our own town rather than people having to drive or travel elsewhere that, you know, a sense of community comes about people coming together to celebrate. I think all this really helps to build what is the main aim, which is to be a resilient town, a town that's doing something positive. I think Bandon has so much potential in that it's got everything you need without having to go elsewhere. Not that you have to be insular, but, you know, as a town, we, we are quite resilient. If you want to learn more about Creative Bandon, Fast Forward and any upcoming events, check the show notes of this episode. To protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours2protect.ie for more info. We always love it when listeners take time out to call out an act of kindness. So if somebody just goes above and beyond to help out a complete stranger. Well, Cathy in Formoy has contacted us because that's exactly what happened to her this week. Good afternoon to you, Cathy. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, firstly, uh, I can I can see what happened to you this week, but just firstly, how are you doing and are you feeling okay? I am feeling wonderful. I'll tell you, um, after a few hours in the bathroom and a good night's sleep, I felt much better. Okay. So, but, so yes. take us back. It was last Monday and you were out visiting uh, a friend. I was on my way to visit a friend. Okay. And I popped into Little for a message for her on the way down and I got this turn in my stomach, I suppose, and this crampy pain and this feeling like I wanted to throw up and I thought I'd never get out of the shop, pay for my messages and and get out of my car. And I just made it to the back of the car when, yes, I did throw up. And it came on on you that suddenly? It came on me that suddenly. I think 
on hindsight, I think it was um, a touch of food poisoning. Sounds like it. Yes. Sounds like like it. Afterwards, that dawned on me. But anyway, it just happened out of the blue. And um, I was stood there at the back of my car, uh, feeling pretty miserable. And this lovely young gentleman came over and asked, could he help? Was I okay? And he couldn't have been kinder. He said he was a medic. Great. And would it be okay if he touched my forehead? And he said I didn't have a temperature. And he asked, would it be okay if he took my pulse? And he said, well, that was fine too. And um, asked me, you know, was I had I a health problem? Was I on medication? Was there anything he could do for me? Could he get ring the family for me? Could he drive me home? He was just so 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 kind, and he had his daughter with him and. Uh, he was about to ring the daughter. She was in the car waiting when she came towards us. And he said, I won't be long. You'll have to go back to the car. Okay. Uh, he was there. He didn't want to go away. He didn't want to leave me. And I told him that I would probably be okay. That I felt okay, just so miserable. And the tummy was still yeah, crampy. And, um, oh, he said, look... Um, can I, are you sure I can't drive you home? Are you sure I can't do this for you or anything for you? And I said, look, I'm only going down the road a mile or so. Can I drive after you just to make sure you oh, get there? Oh, bless his heart. Above and beyond, as you said at the start of it, Patricia, above and beyond. Um, yeah. So uh, he said, look, he said, um, you are right there a moment and he went to his car and he brought me back <laughs> some sick bags and some plastic covers to put in my car in case I got sick on the way and um, I'd say the poor man was very reluctant to leave me I know and, yeah and you know he's been on my mind all week and I, I'm, I'm an elderly lady by the way and I'm not <laughs> a young one and uh, he was very reluctant to leave me and I've been thinking of him all the week and I've been thinking, how can I thank this gentleman? And and also and to tell him that you're OK and that you did. did so, so did you go on to your friends or did you go home? And now I tell you, because I had some messages in the car for her yeah. and her house was as near as my house. OK. I continued on down the road, but for my couple of hours there I spent it in and out of the bathroom. <laughs> oh God help you. God help. Oh, and then you went you you went home then and got a good night's sleep. I did, Patricia. And let's just say when the body started itself out. It does it does sound like something that could have been just slightly not agreeing with your stomach, something slightly gone off or whatever. Uh, it no. does sound like a, a, a bit of food poisoning. But your the main purpose of your call is to try to get a message through to that man to say you're okay and that you really appreciated his kindness. Now you obviously, because of the way you were feeling, you don't even have a first name, do you, for him? I had no Nothing. name for him. I never thought to ask and I never thought to give him my name. So I had no way of letting him know. And I hope if he's not listening, somebody belongs to him will know and he will have told them the story. Yeah. Did you did you know. spot the car he was driving? No, no. I didn't okay. because 
it was after six o'clock. Oh, it was dark. It was dark. It was dark. And his car was up a bit from mine. I don't know how far. Okay, so we don't. It was in. It was in Little in Mallow last Monday. No, Uh, no. Little in Fromoy. Little in Fromoy. My apologies. Little in Fromoy. Evening, just after six. Just after six. So we don't know. He could be from uh, Fromoy. He might have been passing through Fromoy doing a bit of shopping. But he obviously was in Little with his daughter as well, picking up a few messages to bring Uh, uh, home. Okay, so well, and good to know that you're keeping okay and that you're feeling okay. And it's it's lovely when somebody somebody like that, just a complete stranger, sees somebody in need and just reaches out. But you know, Patricia, it restores your faith in human nature. It does. Because all we're hearing is bad news and there are such wonderful people out there. And I really, really want to say a huge thank you to him. And what a gorgeous medic, wouldn't you love in a medical emergency to have a man like that coming to look after you? Oh, yes, yeah, indeed. It's yes, great. Oh, listen, you mind yourself, Cathy. And thank, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And listen, thanks uh, for sharing it. I always love when people do take the time out to share stories like that. So well done. I'd love to be able to track down the name of that medic in Fromoy in Lidl. Perhaps he might be working, so he might be listening to us. Um, but maybe he told the story to somebody because it's kind of one of those stories you would go home and say, God, I was a bit worried about that, about a lady tonight and she wouldn't let me drive her home and independent out was our Cathy but uh, she just wants to get the message across that she's okay. But to thank him as well, it was a really, really lovely thing to do. Uh, if anybody knows who that man is, please let us know. 0818 103 103. We were talking about uh, ladies' football. In the last hour, trying to encourage people to attend more of the ladies' sporting events. Kate and Bandon said, why are we still calling it ladies' football? Why not refer to it as women's football? Would the latter um, be far more inclusive? Because, yeah, we have men's football. Um, would people prefer women's football to ladies' football? Kate and Bandon reckons it would be more inclusive. And Mike in Bantry was listening and he was particularly interested in hearing Eamon, who, who joined us to talk. He's Eamon is the PRO with the Mallow Ladies Gaelic uh, Associ- Football Association, uh, Eamon O'Dea. And, he, and Mike down in Bantry says his two nieces play camogie in Mallow. They're just five and six. And he, he said they absolutely love it. It's great to get kids involved. Hi to Isabella and Sophia, your Uncle Mike in Bantry thinking about, about you. I was talking about the what's coming in on the 1st of February and this is the <coughs> deposit and return. We'll be paying deposits on all of our plastic bottles and cans, ones that contain beverages. Um, somebody says, uh, Patricia, about this new recycling initiative, what is the reward for the stores and the supermarkets? I doubt very much that they're investing in these machines, which we're told cost 15000 each, plus the extra labour involved in maintaining, cleaning and emptying them, plus the extra work involved in issuing and sorting coupons, etc. Without there being some kind of a financial benefit to them. And actually, we've other others as well chipping in and saying, who's funding all of this return and uh, deposit? OK, the plan is that it's going to be self-funding because what happens is the producers, they pay a fee to Return, which is the non-for-profit company that's been set up to uh, run it. And the producers have to pay a fee for every container placed on and in a shop or supermarket. They will also charge the deposit fee to the retailers who pay, who buy their products and then they pass it on to Return. Return then will collect the return bottles and the cans. They sell them 
to the industry. So it will have revenue from that source. Then the retailers who've already paid the deposit fee to the producers, they'll charge it to the shoppers. They pay back for returns and then they get reimbursed from return on every deposit reclaimed. And there is a handling fee of 2.2 cent for every container returned by the reverse vending machine and it's 2.6 for anyone who opts to do it manually and back over the counter even though we're hearing a very small amount of people saying that. That should make it cost neutral in the shops although there will be an outlay obviously when they have to put in those reverse vending machines. But somebody was saying is this is this money, is this tax funded money? No, there's no money at all coming from the taxpayer. It is intended to be self-financing. Uh, so there is a financial uh, centre for the shop on a handling fee of 2 0.2 uh, cent. 0818103103 and just one final comment in this bunch. This is in from Jim and I, I think there'll be a number of people will probably be nodding and saying Jim is right. Jim says Patricia I'm sick to the teeth of the song that so many so many members of the government seem to be singing all the time and I don't wish to be included in it. Yes, I am one of the lads who left Ireland back in the 1960s to seek work. No, we were not fleeing war, but something far worse than war. We were fleeing poverty, destitution, hanging around in the town, in a town with one horse. The only excitement was if somebody died. We had nothing to do, no work and no transport out of town. I was 17 at the time and my mother said Jim you'll have to get in the boat you're going to have to go to England she borrowed £5 from the shop and put it at the back of the book which meant she paid it off bit by bit back to the shopkeeper I left Capaquin on a train on an August evening and I arrived at the ship in Rosslare got the boat to Fishguard and then another train to Paddington Station in the middle of London I just followed all of the other young lads and lassies with suitcases they must be going in the right direction I was thinking. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I got no help to find accommodation, nor no helping handout. I got no police escort to a warm room and a warm meal. I had nothing to eat from the start of my journey in Ireland. I had no sleep. I was lost in England. The only thing I had was my mouth to ask questions. And I found the English people by the way far more helpful to me than any of the Irish were. Anyway my point is I got no money nothing to start me off. So don't assume that just because I had to go to another country that I was saved and helped says uh, Jim and I think a lot of people will agree with you Jim and a lot of the young lads and lassies like yourself when you went to England you worked hard and you weren't always well looked after uh, either and you weren't always well received so a lot of people will certainly identify with that but there's a kind of an understanding then as to why people come from other countries where as you described they're facing poverty and destitution and they see a country like Ireland and they see us as a rich country and when you compare our living conditions to the conditions they come from, you can see why they flee and why they try to come here as economic uh, migrants. And many of them, economic migrants, don't want handouts from the state. They want to get here and do exactly, Jim, what you did in the 60s. They want to get here, hit the ground running and just want to start work. Um, And like many Irish people did, they send money back to their families. There's many migrant workers today in this country doing the same thing. 0818103103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. 
Brian McDermott is playing in Kilbehany Community Centre tonight. Dancing is at nine. Admissions 10 euro and teas will be served. The Rossmore Variety Show is on tonight and tomorrow. They're fundraising for palliative care, Cancer Connect, Kilmean Community Development Association and Kilmean GAA. Uh, you can get details of uh, the tickets for tonight or tomorrow night 0860760146. Bingo is on tonight in Kildallery, 8 o'clock in the store in the Creamery Yard. Um, the jackpot is €3,300. Cancer Connect, they're urgently looking for volunteers to drive an eight-seater bus from the Canturk area to CUH and the Bon Secure Hospitals bringing passengers to radiotherapy one day per month. Now, a normal car licence, that's a B licence, is sufficient. Could you help? Would you like to volunteer with Cancer Connect, who are a wonderful organisation? 21 203-8523. Bally Desmond card play is cancelled tonight. That's due to the inclement weather conditions. And please note that the Jack O'Rourke concert at St George's Art and Heritage Centre in Middleton, that was scheduled for Saturday the 3rd of February. That's been postponed, but they do have a new date already. The new date is the following Friday, the 9th of February. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And then when I was talking about the home the central heating freezing and there's something I hadn't heard about before. Somebody said, Patricia, diesel and home heating oil it was a regular thing. It used to freeze in the 70s and early 80s. But then they introduced a, a winter grade of kerosene. Obviously, the older grade was cheaper as well, but it was a regular occurrence. I didn't realise that. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. Let me go to the phone lines where JJ Hurley joins me from the Belgooli uh, area. Good afternoon to you, JJ. Good afternoon to you. I'm well, and I'm disappointed to read this about your your wonderful uh, area. You've had a number of cars broken into. Was this last night or the night before? No, apparently there was a, there was a number of cars broken into uh, last night in the area. Now um, that information comes from the local uh, community left area. Now there is we I know and I know John Paul has done the same thing. Uh, we we put in a press release to the guard because there is. Areas you know yourself the stories and stuff going around the place. So we're waiting for as as it's a live investigation. Um, I suppose we won't speculate until we get exactly what the guards will, will say is what's happened or okay. what the scenario. But, but but you you want to just issue warnings to people to just be careful at the moment. It's going on. This has happened a number of times in Belgooli. This is a regular. I I like to say it's nearly a regular event now at this stage. Um, you know, it's happened. I know some years ago there was somebody arrested afterwards down in Passage. Um, uh, you know, I know jo- actually what happened here and, and, and it, it nearly went under the radar, um, but it was spotted. Our batteries, and I know there's a number of ones, the batteries from our um, local uh, speed activating signs were stolen. Um, around Christmas. No, that's not related to last night, but yeah. it's another thing. So I, I, yeah. So that's happened in other parts. We've 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 reported that before in our, in our Garda file. Uh, it's it's frustrating that that happens because they're it's the community, isn't it? Gets the money together for those. Yeah, well, we raised uh, three thousand euros at the time two years ago. Now I think they're more or less funded now by the council. Okay. At the time we had to pay, had to, and that was hard, hard earned money. Um, you know. Um, so, but but yeah, coming back to what you're saying, you're 100 percent right. I mean, like first of all, you know, there's a lot of people going through Belgooli. There's a lot of people in the area that are working shift work. They're working in the city. 
Um, so they're up at all hours in the morning, and 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 just people in their houses. First of all, look, we all do it, Trish. Come home, from, you know, come home from school, and we leave the car open. Come home from work, and we're running in the door. Lock your car. Make sure your car is locked. This is opportunist crime. That's what this is. Um, the other thing is, if you're inside in bed at four o'clock in the morning and the dog is back, and now you hear a voice outside, like just get up, turn on the light, and look. I'm going to give out a number there to guards and can say it's zero two one. Four seven seven two three zero two. That's zero two one four seven seven two three zero two. Just ring the guards and cancel, and and they'll they'll come out and and they'll have a look. But like, don't ignore us. No, obviously, don't go out and don't challenge anyone. No, We're not no, no. And you know, everyone in we in our in our mobile phones, we should all have the local guard the station already in our mobile phones. So if you hear or see something like that, you're not scrambling looking for a telephone number. You already have it in your phone. Yeah, and the other thing we have here, which is, is, is and I know other groups, and it's an idea really came into me today. Like, you know, first of all, I know not everybody likes getting a text at four o'clock in the morning, right? But so put your put your phone on silent if you don't want to. But I know quite recently now where where in other incidents in Belgooli there uh, before Christmas where a man was going to work early and he spotted a spotted somebody hanging around and he just put in the group chat, look, do you know, and he contacted the guards himself. Great. So that's another idea. I mean, there's loads of GA groups. Uh, look, as I said, look, if you don't want to get the text at, at four o'clock in the morning, turn off your phone. But like we have like GA clubs and residents associations and stuff like that. And just put in a text, you know, saying, look, I think I think there's a noise. I thought I saw somebody going on. Now, to be honest, I know, look, people say, oh, sure, look, you know, people are hanging around and they can't they do what they want. People hanging around at four o'clock in the morning. Our, our teenagers hanging around at two o'clock in the morning should not be hanging around. No, right? no. Okay. There's something. There's something sus if you see somebody hanging yeah, around at that level. Can I just? Are people leaving items in their car? I'm yeah. just thinking. If you decided to break into my car, there's nothing in my car. Yeah, but you can imagine there's somebody maybe coming home from work, right? And they're late, and it's a cold. First of all, Trish, I have to say this: I was kind of. They must be hardy boys because I got into my car this morning here in Belgoolian, and it was minus five. So God, know what it was. It yeah, was that, yeah. What was the temperature this morning at four o'clock? But you know, you're right. And see what happens is people come from work or what have you, and they leave the laptop or they go into the local shop and they they get a pint of milk and they leave. You know, they leave they leave stuff in the car, and these it's only opportunist uh, crime. It's like during the day. I think the guards would say most of their crime. In houses, it happens during the day when people are out because they don't lock gates. They leave, you know, they leave items open and stuff like that. Um, these fellas just want to get it. They they don't mind confrontation. They just want to be gone. You know, they just want to fast book. Um, so yeah, they do. They do. Unfortunately. You know? Okay. So so lock. It's and and I know from our weekly crime file the amount of break-ins to cars and they were unopened, they were unlocked uh, because I think we park in, particularly if you've got the luxury of being able to park in the driveway of your house, yeah. you think just because you're home it's safe, you need to lock your car and it, it, it it's never been easier to lock a car, you're pressing a button. I know, but you know what, I suppose in a, in a strange way, Trish, isn't it, isn't it is, you know, I know people say, oh, things have changed but I suppose we're, we're still living in a, a general society that, that you know, it's, it's we feel safe. I know, I and, know. And these fellas are just making opportunities. Yeah, know. it's shocking, it's shocking. Okay, uh, but put guard the phone numbers in your phone, folks, please and ring the guards uh, if you see or suspect anything. Okay, listen, JJ, thank Thanks you for so that. Much, stay safe and stay warm. Uh, you too, that is uh, JJ Hurley calling us from the bed 
Kalgooli uh, area. Peter says, Patricia, do you know the extra money that is going to people? You know, there's another bonus social welfare payment for cost of living. I don't know if it's everyone on social welfare and there's a certain cohort of people are getting a bonus payment. Is it next week? I'm assuming, Peter, it is next week because they said the last week in uh, January. I mean, the following week would take us into the beginning of February. We'll get it double checked, but I would be assuming that that double payment that's going to a cohort of uh, people will be paid next week, but we'll get it checked for you. 0818 103 103. We're going to take a break and we're talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Uh, for uh, Peter, who was wondering about when the once-off double payment, this is the cost of uh, living, is going to be paid at the end of January. It's not next week, it's actually the week after. It'll be paid the week beginning January the 29th. And payments that qualified for the Christmas bonus will qualify for this once-off double week. So if you got a Christmas bonus on social welfare, then you'll get another once-off double week on not next week, the week after, the week beginning the 29th of January. Mark Malone it joins me to talk movies. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi. Hi, Patricia. And two movies, Poor Things and Lift. Now, Poor Things, let's take a trailer from that. This is Bella. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. No. She's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. But she's progressing at an accelerated pace. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. Bella! Now, this is a movie I'm hearing a lot about because obviously it's doing very well when it comes to awards and nominations. And mm-hmm. I know only this week, I think it got 11 uh, BAFTA uh, nominations. And it's described as a science fantasy black comedy film. Yeah, I suppose that, yeah. But it's, oh, oh that's only just, uh, I don't need, uh, you know, shoot the line, the scratch at the surface. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because this is one of the strangest, weirdest films I've ever seen. Now, you saw Saltburn, and we talked about that last yeah. week. Now, if you thought that was weird, and if you thought that was explicit, then you should see, see this thing. I mean, the thing about Saltburn is that it had a 16 cert. This is an 18 cert. So, wow. you know what I mean? And you so, don't often see 18 certs anymore. I know, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very, very strange. I, I was reading a piece, actually, in the papers the other day uh, about how, you know, this was made last, uh, last it came out last year but it was made uh, the year before and uh, you know the, the, the piece that I read it was a great year for nudity if you remember <laughs> it was there was very strange nudity in Oppenheimer as well but it's almost as like you know we're going back to the bad old days because I don't particularly like nudity to be re- really honest with you because it just makes everybody uncomfortable and weird and it's completely unnecessary although this is about the sexual awakening of a young woman so I suppose in that sense you know it's, it's excusable but it's a very very strange odd film and it is completely bonkers I mean I haven't seen anything like this for a very very long time and it's 
achievement and, and bigger are, than Saltburn. Are we talking about the Victorian times from the clips I've seen? It's, yeah, it is meant yeah. to be in the Victorian times, but it's a kind of a different type. It's kind of a science fiction of Victoria times, uh, oh, Victorian okay. times, because at one stage she goes out into the street and looks up and there are airships uh, in the sky. Yeah, I thought, at first I thought there were spaceships and I thought, this is odd. I thought it was meant to be Victorian times. So it's kind of a warped kind of uh, Victorian times, but okay. that's the only time really when it does become kind of science fiction because, uh, well, there is science fiction in the sense that because uh, this is William Defoe plays Dr. Godwin Baxter. Now think of the first three letters in Godwin, uh, all right, and keep that in mind because he's a kind of a Frankenstein kind of type of character. Now I did think about whether or not I should talk about her and uh, the character here of Bella Baxter played by Emma Stone and Love go into Emma too Stone. much. Yeah, I don't really know if I want to go into kind of too much details as to what, uh, as to why she's the way she is, so I won't. Okay. But basically she's, um, think about it like um, he is a Frankenstein kind of character. He brings her back uh, from the, you know, from uh, from death and uh, in a scene that's very reminiscent of young Frankenstein actually uh, which is hard because the first 40 minutes of the film is actually in completely in black and white and it does look like young Frankenstein as well so think about uh, that think about kind of movies like that uh, the old Frankenstein movies from the 30s uh, think about Wes Anderson and then kind of combine them with um, with scenes that uh, will be shocking I think to uh, a lot of people but it is fascinating and it's very interesting it's directed by Yorgos Lanthimos now he makes films that people might not necessarily warm to and there are a certain there's a certain population out there that think he's a genius there are some, some people who think that his films are just weird films like The Lobster with uh, Colin Farrell uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deal which also had Colin Farrell and Barry Keoghan in it mm-hmm. actually as well uh, and this is his latest film Emma Stone he has worked with uh, before in a film called The Favourite they've already made another film together I think he's finished uh, that and that should be out very very soon uh, so she is very much his muse at the moment mind you she is also a producer here so she was in complete control about of, of everything that's been in this film it's okay. about the sexual awakening of this woman who has become kind of uh, who becomes alive because of a Frankenstein type uh, character and she then begins to learn about life and she uh, begins to you know as she gets a little bit older because at first she's a very very childlike kind of uh, person in a woman's body and as she begins to kind of learn about uh, about that body about becoming older and and, and becoming more aware of the, the world uh, around her uh, it causes divisions between uh, her and uh, and uh, William Defoe. She he's, she's not allowed outside the building until Mark Ruffalo arrives. He plays the character of Duncan Weatherburn uh, with this English accent that all American uh, actors can yeah, do. I, I heard it. I think on the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He does kind of a Terry Thomas, to be honest with you. And he's this kind of very kind of interesting character. He's very suave and sophisticated. And he decides, no, I'm going to take you away from this mad scientist, and I'm going to uh, take you to Lisbon, and we are going to have fun and and. Um, and she begins to realize there is a world out there. And as she becomes more aware of the world and becomes more intelligent and smarter as she's getting on, uh, she also becomes aware of herself and her body. And uh, and she wants to explore all of that. And that's all there on screen, I should point out. Okay. As she leaves a trail of crying men <laughs> behind her. So some say, look, it's a bit of a misogynist film. There are some say, no, it's a feminist film. I, To me, it is a feminist film because she in no way, shape or form cares about anybody else or what she, or what anybody thinks she hits she has no time for the social mores of the victorian society there's a scene where she's you know having dinner and she spits out uh, the dinner and he says you can't do that in public yeah. and she says why not it tastes horrible you know yeah. and then a baby <laughs> a baby cries in the background she said excuse me whilst i go and punch that baby in the face <laughs> and he's got to kind of stop her from doing it and there's an awful lot of that so look, yeah it's the film is so about kind of funny there's, it, there's a lot of comedy in yeah. it there really is you know it's a, there's this kind of story of self-discovery and uh, and sex 
sexual liberation, to be brutally honest with you. Okay. It is daring. It is demented. It is mad. It is crazy. Did it, it is hold weird. your attention? I loved every yeah. single moment of it. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely terrific. Apart from some of the sex scenes, all right, you do okay. get kind of a little bit uncomfortable. They are explicit. It's an 18 cert. Beware of that. Be w- but it is but very you're good. you're warned. Okay, Mark, poor things out of 10? I'll give it, I'll give it a good nine, I nine think. Nine out of yeah. 10. Okay, that's a good start to, to the new year. And your second movie then is Lift. How different is this? Oh, Kevin Hart, very different. Oh, very, very different indeed. So I was looking for something after that, something that's kind of lighter and kind of silly that I can kind of turn my brain off. And I thought, uh, this is the new a new film from Netflix, uh, one of their big, big budget action films. And I thought, and they're calling it that, the first big, big streaming movie of 2024. And it stars Kevin Hart, uh, who is uh, this art thief. And um, But Patricia, he only steals from... People who don't deserve ah, yeah. art, you see. So that makes it okay. Robin Hood. Exactly. And he <laughs> then sells it on the black market, which doesn't make it okay. So the, morally, this film, you know, is a, there's a bit of a grey area there. So uh, when we first may, meet him, uh, they're looking to uh, kidnap um, a young artist who has his face covered and uh, he wants to sell an NFT of himself. NFT, is that right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so what they do is they kidnap him. By doing that, of course, it increases the, um, value. the, the value of the NFT. They they buy the NFT for 20 million, sell it for 70 million. Oh. So everybody's happy. Um, but they do, um, they come to the attention, though, uh, of the authorities, as you can imagine. And uh, Interpol get involved, and Interpol decide look, we need you. We need you to do something for us because there, John Renault plays a character called Jorgensen, uh, who is a nasty piece of work. And uh, well, he's transporting $500 million of gold bullion on a plane, on a commercial airliner, and they want him to steal it with 230 people on board. And you just think, what? Is this for real? Is this really, really serious? Is this seriously going to happen? And I can tell you that when it comes to movies, like this is, this is, there's a sequence at the start um, in Venice, and you think, oh, this is going to be really good because all the money is there. It looks fabulous. And there's a boat sequence, and there's a boat chase. And at one stage, the uh, the flood barriers come up, and they're heading towards the flood barrier, and, and nothing much happens because the bad, this film is really, really badly directed by a man by the name of Gary Gray, who remade the... The Italian job, which I hated. He uh, made Men in Black International, which I hated. And to be fair to him, look, it's, it's an AI written story. It really is. It's like they decided, okay, uh, they went into AI and said, give me a film that's similar to Ocean's Eleven, uh, Red Notice, Operation Fortune, all these streaming movies that uh, came our way in the last few years. And it spat out this thing. And it's dull and boring. And I really yeah, didn't like I, it at all. I, I saw, because um, I love... Um um, I love Kevin Hart and I find him very, very funny. Mm-hmm. And I saw him on with uh, Graham Norton talking about this movie and he was talking about, you know, it was his first action movie and they showed a bit of the action <laughs> scenes and it, I was thinking, oh my God, this isn't great. And that was just on the clip that I saw of it. But the thing is about Kevin Hart, I'm, I can't remember when last he made a, a good movie for me. I mean, oh, I do like him as well. Yeah. I think he's, his stand-up was, uh, was very good. He's but very the, funny, but yeah. I did kind of wonder, I think Jumanji, I think, was probably the last thing that he was in that I actually thought was half decent. The problem is, is that this film, he's playing a James Bond type character and he's no James Bond and he's no James Bond so yeah. he's looking up at everybody throughout the whole film and he's a tough guy and he's thinking I can't take this seriously anymore I'm afraid sorry um, but it's dull and it's boring I'm afraid and I'm not the only one thankfully on Rotten Tomatoes the critics are at 30% but usually the fans love this kind of thing the fan, I think the fan is, uh, level is at 32% Aww. so yeah it's, it's, it's really really form, formulaic it's, it's, it's generic dull and boring and I I found it a difficult okay. watch. So, so, what are you giving Lift out of ten? I liked uh, I liked Venice at the start. Okay. so I'll give I'll give Venice two points. Two.
<laughs> Sounds like you're ringing in the Eurovision result. <laughs> Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat next uh, Friday. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Somebody says, Patricia, are the old age pensioners getting that extra payment that you mentioned? Yes, they will. If you got a if you got the Christmas bonus then you are entitled to it and it's the week after next it's going to get paid uh, just before I go a reminder to you of that open public meeting for Alcoholics Anonymous that we spoke about earlier in the week it is on tonight half past eight in the Munster Arms Hotel for anyone who has a problem with alcohol or if you are living with somebody who has a problem with alcohol there is a solution and that solution can be with Alcoholics Anonymous so feel free to go along to that meeting tonight half past eight in the Munster Arms Hotel. And that is where I wrap it up for today and indeed for this week. Another week over. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I will be back with you Monday morning at 10. On to that, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.